Welcome to Above Avalon. This is episode 189. Apple is in a league of its own. Hi, I'm Neil. Before we jump into today's discussion, I did want to take a few minutes to give you an update of sorts. It's been a while since I talked to some of you. I have been seeing some tweets and emails asking if I'm okay and what's going on with this podcast. Everything is good. As many of you know, my wife and I welcomed our third child into the world this past October. Rosalie and her two brothers are doing great. It's a bit of a whirlwind, but as some of you can confirm, the move from one to two children took a larger adjustment versus the move from two to three. The key now is all about refining schedules and also making sure you fit in sleep somewhere. When it comes to Above Avalon, I've been very busy with membership and the daily updates. I'm fortunate that covering the largest company out there results in a seemingly never-ending stream of news and topics to analyze and discuss. In addition to the written updates, I'm doing more podcasting now than ever before. I just recorded the newest episode of the daily podcast a few hours ago. I believe I've done 302 episodes of Above Avalon Daily, which is pretty crazy. I've also been writing over at InsideOrchard.com, which I launched last year. If you haven't checked that out, I do recommend giving it a spin. It is a subscription-based publication, but I have a few sample essays on the main page that will give everyone a feel for the site. The idea is for Inside Orchard to be home to tech analysis that doesn't fit with Above Avalon. A great example of that is the latest developments regarding Elon Musk and Twitter. I think there are two storylines found with that topic. On one hand, you have Elon Musk and his issues with freedom of speech or lack thereof, as he claims. And there's plenty to say about that. But I think there's another storyline, and that is found with the Twitter algorithm. In the past, you just follow people, they write tweets, you see them in your timeline, and chronological order was pretty simple. Today, it's different. And now you have Twitter trying to get more and more people to embrace the algorithm-driven timeline in which basically Twitter is deciding which tweets to show you with the goal of keeping you on the platform. I have plenty of other thoughts on the topic, but that's not going to be today's discussion. (laughs) I did record a separate podcast for Inside Orchard about that topic, so it's out there. Definitely check it out. Again, InsideOrchard.com is where all of that's going on. With that, let's jump into the heart of today's episode. Last month, Apple held its peak performance event, so this was another virtual presentation. We had updates to the iPhone SE, iPad Air, a brand new Mac category with the Mac Studio, the Studio Display, and oh yeah, Apple entered into live sports. (laughs) That announcement got just 65 seconds of the presentation. Going through all that Apple said, the main takeaway from me wasn't found with any one product or service. Instead, it was the sheer breadth of product unveilings that caught my attention. Over the past 18 months, Apple has held seven jam-packed product unveilings that have included a collection of new hardware, software, and services. I think to a certain degree, a lot of us are just used to it now. Every few months, there is an expectation that Apple is going to hold one of these 60-minute long unveilings. Some are longer. Some are a little bit shorter. The thing is, Apple's peers would be thrilled to hold just one of these presentations every year or two. 
There is no other company in the same league as Apple when it comes to maintaining and updating such a wide and comprehensive ecosystem of devices and services. The way Apple has been able to update and launch so many products and services, which is driving the need for Apple to hold all these virtual presentations, plays a very big role in the company pulling away from the competition. There's a lot of value to be found in examining that point further. How is Apple able to update so many products? And how has that changed in recent years? And that's going to lead to a discussion regarding the competition. It's not correct to say that Apple competitors have stopped trying, but they're floundering. They're not able to connect with consumers like they may have been five to 10 years ago. Why? What is going on here? In recent years, one of the more interesting Apple stories has been how the Apple ecosystem is strengthening. In an effort to quantify that strength, it's very tempting to look at Apple's quarterly earnings and point to maybe revenue, operating income, even cash flow. And when those metrics are growing, you may say, okay, well, that means the ecosystem is expanding. But maybe when revenue is down or growth is slowing, maybe that's an indicator that Apple's ecosystem is maybe plateauing in the near term. I don't think that's right. I don't think that's the proper way of assessing Apple's ecosystem strength. There's an issue when looking at revenue, operating income, and even cash flow. Those metrics don't tell the full ecosystem story. Nearly 80% of Apple's revenue is attributable to hardware. So that means the company's financials remain heavily influenced by upgrading trends. While upgrading patterns are very important to monitor, we need to know what's happening on the new user front. Is Apple bringing new users into the fold? Over the long run, that is much more important than going to your existing users and just simply having them buy more products and more services. So along those lines, I did some calculations for the number of new users entering Apple's major product categories. And I looked at the iPhone, Apple Watch, iPad, and Mac. For the iPhone, my estimate is that Apple is bringing in 60 million new users per year. That's a five-year high. For Apple Watch, 30 million new users per year. That's an all-time high. And again, when I mean new users, I mean these are people who have never used, say, an iPhone or an Apple Watch in the past. So they're buying their first Apple Watch or iPhone. For iPad, 30 million new users per year. That's an eight-year high. And then for the Mac, 15 million new users per year. That's an all-time high. Much of the math behind those estimates are available to Above Avalon members. In today's show notes, I will include links to four particular updates that went over each one of those topics, new users for iPhone, Apple Watch, iPad, and Mac. So if you're interested in that, definitely check out the show notes. So how is Apple able to bring in all these new users each year? To get to the heart of what Apple's doing and how the company's executing so well, we have to go back to 2017 
in 2018, Apple began to follow a new product strategy that amounted to pushing all of its product categories forward at the same time. Previously, Apple had been following a product strategy that can be thought of as a pull system. The company was most aggressive with the products capable of making technology more relevant and personal, like wearables and the iPhone. One way of conceptualizing this strategy is to think of Apple product categories being attached to a rope, in order of which makes technology more personal via new workflows and processes for getting work done. As Apple management pulled on the rope, the Apple Watch and iPhone received much of the attention because they were positioned very close to where the person was pulling the rope. Meanwhile, the Mac was like dead weight. It's at the end of the rope. Similarly, the iPad had hit a rough patch. Apple is now utilizing a push system in which every major product category is being pushed forward simultaneously. Over at AboveAvalon.com, I published a written article about this topic last week. In one diagram slash image that I created, I put Apple's product line on a spectrum. So on the left, I had AirPods. Then I had some Apple Watches, iPhones, iPads, MacBooks, and then Mac desktops with the large Mac Pro on the far right. It's kind of getting hard to fit it all into this little table that I created. And then I had arrows, and they were all pointing in the same direction, symbolizing how Apple basically is taking this entire spectrum and pushing it forward at the same time. As a result, the iPad, and in particular the Mac, has received more priority. We have also seen Apple become more aggressive with expanding the number of SKUs available and giving consumers more price and feature options. At the core of Apple's product strategy shift was a doubling down on autonomy within its product development process. The Apple machine is operating at such speed and scale, it's not realistic to think one person is controlling or running the machine. Apple wouldn't be able to push its entire product line forward simultaneously if every decision had to go through one gatekeeper. Instead, the Apple machine was designed to take on a certain level of autonomy in order to instill Apple's values in all employees. This is a critical feature of Apple's small and nimble teams that are all about collaboration. That is betting that combining different disciplines together, having people with different experiences, different backgrounds working together, produces upside. And that benefit, that upside, plays a big role in Apple fostering good design. That's not as subjective of a term as it may sound. A product has good design if it's able to tell the user something about the person who created that product. We're at the point where I think we can start connecting the dots. We have Apple betting on itself, betting on the product development process that it has spent the past two decades building. That's resulting in Apple being able to come up with a wider and deeper product line, which is good for growing the ecosystem, bringing in new users, pushing that entire product line forward at the same time, 
Again, it's not going through one person. It's not going through one decision maker. Instead, you are allowing Apple's small, nimble teams to do what they do best, and that is put the user experience front and center. That's what's guiding all of this. We can't forget about how Apple's design team has been growing in recent years, partly due to all of these new product categories that Apple is entering. You have designers with different experiences focus on different parts of the user experience. All of this can be thought of as pieces, pieces of the puzzle. And when you're putting these pieces together, what management's goal is to make sure everyone is sort of on the same page, or I should say is on the same page, but you're also focused on making sure the user experience does remain front and center. You could think of this as management with Tim Cook at the head is really focused on culture. I still laugh when people say Tim Cook is not a product person. Not only does that ignore all of his years of operations experience, but what he's fundamentally doing is all about products. He is building a culture in which teams put the user experience found with products front and center. How can you not be a product person and yet oversee that? And then the last few dots that connect have to do with Apple unveiling all of these new products. So since you're empowering teams to work on all of these new product categories, you're pushing everything forward at the same time, well, now you're going to have a lot more products to unveil. And so you have to have more product events. And that's why it jumped out at me last month with the peak performance event. Again, that's the seventh product event in 18 months. And these events aren't snooze fest. You're not getting to the end of them and saying, well, Apple could have cut half of that out. This past event last month, they gave 65 seconds to their entry into live sports. 65 seconds. At this point, I want to turn our focus to competition. While all of these product strategy changes were underway within Apple, the competition began to flounder. A growing number of bad product bets were placed, peaking with the ultimate misdirection in tech of the past decade, voice computing and the stationary smart speaker mirage. The subsequent embrace of stationary screens positioned on kitchen countertops, it's seen limited adoption. Foldable smartphone sales have not been impressive. Apple competitors are now struggling to capture consumers' attention and money with routine annual smartphone updates. Look at the iPhone in recent years. I think a very good argument can be made that Apple's iPhone updates are stronger now, as in they're connecting with consumers more than they were, say, four, five, six years ago. How? Apple doubled down on its long-held idea of what innovation means. It's not just pushing something new or different. It's betting on a few things that you think will change people's lives. We see this with Apple Watch. When you look at the annual updates from one series to another, on paper, they may not seem like that big of a deal. They may look underwhelming. But Apple knows the majority of people buying Apple Watches have never worn an Apple Watch. Those consumers are comparing the flagship Apple Watch to an empty wrist. And for those Apple Watch users that do want to upgrade more frequently, say every year, 
I think the changes that Apple pushes out, the two or three top changes, they matter. For me, having that slightly larger screen, it was noticeable. I was surprised. I went into a lot more detail about that in episode 187, Thoughts on Apple Watch Series 7. We are at the point when tough questions have to be asked about Apple's competition, or lack thereof. What company can realistically give Apple a run for its money? The number of paid subscriptions across Apple's platform is increasing by $170 million per year. Google wants to compete in some hardware verticals Apple plays in, but it's fair to question Google management's commitment. At times, their heart just doesn't seem in it. Amazon and Microsoft have stronger motivations to do well in hardware, but their lack of design thinking is hard to miss. Meta would win an award for strongest public commitment to hardware, but the company's culture and heritage don't seem to mesh well with what it takes to do well in hardware. We then have the smaller companies, Snap, Spotify, Sonos, can even throw in Peloton. The list goes on. Some of these companies are dabbling in hardware. Others are pushing a service. But they all lack the ecosystems to truly go up against Apple toe-to-toe. This isn't just a U.S. issue either. When thinking of competition outside the U.S., a growing number of consumers are looking for entry points into comprehensive and premium ecosystems. Apple is selling both the all-around best smartphone in the market and all of the tools and services designed to live both below and above the smartphone. Android switching rates are increasing while Apple entices hundreds of millions of iPhone-only users to move deeper into the ecosystem. This dynamic does contain a risk for Apple. It's a risk that any company in Apple's position would face. Complacency. With most of its product categories, Apple's largest competitor ends up being itself. A question this raises is, are there signs of Apple maybe settling a little bit in certain product categories. All in all, I don't think there are many signs of that. I did mention last year how I thought Apple could do more with the Apple Watch. It seems like they are holding things back. In my view, a lot of that has to do with Apple's plans for mixed reality. Instead of having multiple wearable product categories that all basically do the same thing, I think Apple wants to have AirPods handle some workflows, Apple Watch handles some workflows, and then what I would refer to as iWearables, you could think of them as smart glasses, mixed reality visor, those would handle other workflows. And I do think it is setting up that you are starting to see what those workflows would be. So for example, a big one for Apple Watch is of course health and fitness monitoring and tracking. For AirPods, you have augmented hearing, which is just simply a version of AR. For eye wearables, like a mixed reality visor, a big one would be content consumption, communication. And of course, it's not that these are in silos. They're going to work seamlessly together, and that's going to be part of the secret sauce as to how Apple's going to stand out from the competition. 
I do think, though, that the fact that Apple's ecosystem updates are accelerating rather than declining while the competition breaks apart is a potential sign of Apple decoupling itself from the competition drives us mantra that is found in Silicon Valley. There is a deeper drive within Apple that is driving teams forward. A feeling that if Apple doesn't create it, no one else will. That will conclude today's discussion. All of my analysis and perspective on Apple is available throughout the week via exclusive daily updates. The updates which have become widely read and influential in the world of Apple provide timely analysis of news impacting Apple and its competitors. The written updates are also available in podcast form. I also publish exclusive reports on Apple business, product, and financial strategy. The daily updates and reports are available to above Avalon members. To sign up and for more information on membership, visit aboveavalon.com forward slash membership. That will do it for today's episode. I will talk to you all later. Have a great day. Bye.